Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to Matthew chapter 25 for this morning's message and for our time together today. Last week, we began a brand new sermon series entitled One Another, One Another. And in the context of this sermon series, what we're doing is this. We're looking at God's word and being reminded of God's instructions to us to live our lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. We are called to live our life for the glory of God and for the good of others. Frankly, that statement, as simple as it is and as true as it is, completely flies in the face of everything that we see, largely that we see in our culture today. We live in a culture that is a me-first society. We are being taught to live based upon what is best for us. What do I like? What do I desire? What do I choose? Which party do I like? Which sport do I like? Everything is being based around what we think and what we like. But I believe what God is calling us today is to recognize through the course of this series, it's not about what I want or what I like. It's about what God has said and what his desire for my life really is. Not only does it fly in the face of our culture, but frankly, that statement, to live our life for the glory of God and good of others, as simple as it is, it also contradicts everything about our fallen nature. Our fallen sinful nature simply is prone to look out for self. We're prone to look out for what we want to experience and what we think about things. And I believe what God is calling us to recognize is this. If we have a right relationship with him, everything else will pour out of that. We saw last week, if we have a right relationship with God, it will demonstrate itself in the way that we have a right relationship with man. If we love God supremely with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what the second commandment is? It is to love your neighbor as yourself. If we're in a right relationship with God, it will demonstrate itself in the way that we love one another. Today, we come to the next one another in scripture, and that is out of this calling to love one another, we also see next a calling to serve one another. Out of the calling to love one another, there is a calling to serve one another. The fact of the matter is this morning, there are many people who would say, Pastor, I I like that instruction to love one another. Absolutely, this is what we're called to do and this is what I strive to do. But I remind us this morning that loving one another in itself is not the goal. Our chief pursuit is to love God with all of our being and out of that will flow our love for one another. But our love for one another is not defined by our emotions, by our feelings, by our thoughts and our ideas. Many people are content to say, yes, I love others. I love my neighbor. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I I love the people around me because in our mind, we have an emotion towards them. But the reality is Jesus described love through practical, sacrificial, generous actions given to someone in need. So true love ultimately is practical, sacrificial, generous actions that manifest the truth of that love. We see that in Matthew chapter 25. I want us to look together this morning at this pastor scripture as I preach to you simply on this subject, serving one another, serve one another. If you're able to do so, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? The Bible says this in verse 31 of Matthew 25, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. Listen to this statement. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. The king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And the Bible's telling us here that Jesus is one day going to come again. And one day we will all stand before him in judgment. And when we stand before him in judgment, he will separate the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous, the believer from the unbeliever, the saved from the unsaved. Listen to the next statement, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to who? Me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was in, uh, sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to who? Me. These, Jesus concludes, will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and for the time that we have together today. I pray, God, that you would give us a crystal clear understanding of what you're calling us to do today. Father, help us to realize that loving one another is not just to be an, an ideal or a thought or a feeling, but an action that is demonstrated through faithful acts of generosity and service and sacrifice for your glory and the good of others. God, I pray today, if there's anyone here that does not have a relationship with you, that today would be that day where their life is, their soul is saved, their life is changed, and that relationship begins. God, I pray if there's anyone here who does that have that relationship with you, I pray, God, that we would begin to demonstrate that today through our acts of service. And I pray it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Serve one another. The reality is this morning is that you can't truly talk about love without talking about service. Love and service go hand in hand. You can't describe love without faithful acts of service. I'm reminded of the illustration many years ago about a little boy who was in Chicago, Illinois. He would go to a church that's well known today as Moody Tabernacle, but at that day, he would go to where a famous minister by the name of D.O. Moody had established a the Bible and to be cared for there. And after some time, the teacher began to notice something unique about this little boy. The little boy is about 10 years old, and the teacher suddenly realized he had never seen his parents. And so finally, the teacher asked the little boy, son, where are your parents? And he said, well, uh, sir, my, my dad, I, I don't know who my dad is, and my mom works on Sunday, so I come by myself. The teacher was amazed by that. He said, well, wow, well, how do you get here? He said, well, actually, I, I walk to church every week. And the teacher, again, was all the more impressed. And so he asked the son, the little boy, he said, son, where, where do you live? What's your neighborhood? And he said the name of the neighborhood. And when he did, the teacher was astounded because he suddenly realized that that neighborhood was almost four miles away. This 10-year-old little boy walked every single week to Sunday school of four miles to be there. The teacher was amazed, but the more he thought about it, it didn't make sense to him. So he asked the little boy, he said, son, there are tons of churches you could stop at along the way. There's probably 20 to 30 churches between your house and here. Why not just go to one of them? To which the little boy quickly responded, and it's been well recorded, this simple words. He said this, he said, because they love a fella over here. They love a fella over here. What that little boy was describing was the reason he would go to such great lengths is because in that environment, he felt loved. Why did he feel loved? He felt loved because he had a teacher that was interested in him. He had a teacher who cared for him. He had someone faithfully that was serving him and pouring into his life. The fact of the matter is this morning is that we can say that we love, but the evidence of that will be found in our service. We find that from Jesus himself. The Bible tells us of Jesus in John chapter 13, Jesus comes to a climactic moment and he makes this statement. He says, a new commandment I give to you. What is that commandment? That you love one another. For even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the statement. That is this, this kind of precipice moment. Jesus telling us to love one another. But you cannot dismiss that reality from the example that Jesus had already given in John chapter 13. 
Do you remember in John chapter 13, those verses preceding that, just before that, the Bible tells us that Jesus was there in that room with those disciples. They had gathered there together. There wasn't anyone there willing to wash feet. And so what Jesus did was this. The Bible says he took off his outer coat. He took a towel. He wrapped it around himself. He took a basin of water. And there Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, bowed himself down. And he took the stinky, filthy feet of those disciples. And one by one, he washed their feet. And then he said in verses 14 and 15, if I then, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. In other words, don't miss the reality that Jesus demonstrated his love for all in his faithful, gracious act of service as he washed those disciples' feet and commanded them to do the same. But not only did Jesus demonstrate his love through that service, Jesus ultimately demonstrated that love through his sacrifice. That not only did he wash feet, but he willingly came and he gave his life for us. John 3, 16 says it it well, that God so loved the world, that he didn't just think about it or feel about it. No, he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The Bible tells us of Jesus in Philippians chapter two, this incredible picture of Jesus being a servant. And here's what the Bible says. It says, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. What does being a servant look like? Next statement, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus, yes, he showed love and compassion for the entire world, but it wasn't merely in words. In his actions, he willingly served and sacrificed himself for the glory of the Father and the good of all mankind. I like the way that Thomas Kempis said it years ago, simple quote, whoever loves much does much. Whoever loves much does much. I want to ask you to think about that for a moment in the context of your relationship with the Lord and your service to him. Do you love Jesus or is it just an expression or a line in a song? Do you love Jesus and do you demonstrate that through faithful acts of service to him? That's the consideration. In Matthew chapter 25, I think there's a few things that need to be stated about this pastor scripture before we kind of take some observations from it this morning. The first is that the context of Matthew chapter 25 is speaking of eschatology in the sense of it's telling us about the day when Jesus returns again and the day when all mankind stands before him in judgment. In Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, if you want to summarize those chapters together with one key theme, it is simply this. Jesus is coming again, so you better be ready. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, as we'll close the message in a little while, we'll see that loud and clear. Literally, as Jesus says, be ready. The Son of Man is coming at a time that you don't know. So live your life with readiness. Causes me to wonder this morning, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God and give an account? Are you ready for the day when the Bible says that Jesus separates the righteous from the unrighteous, the saved from the unsaved, the sheep from the goats? Are you ready? Or does that cause you concern and apprehension because you don't know if you're ready or not? The second wonderful thing about this passage that needs to be stated is this. Jesus is not showing us through acts of service that people can earn salvation. Jesus is not saying that the determining factor of the sheep and the goats, the righteous and the unrighteous, is how much they do. No, Jesus told us clearly the way that we are to be saved is to repent of our sin and to believe in him. The apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. He says, by grace, you have been saved through faith, through faith alone, and that not of yourselves. It is the very gift of God. It is not as a result of works so that no one may boast. We are saved simply by God's grace as we respond by believing in Jesus. But notice what the next verse is in verse 10. It says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, we're not saved by our works. We're saved only by God's grace through faith. But please understand this, when salvation is genuine, it will be demonstrated, the outpouring of that, the manifestation of God working in our life and changing us is that we will have faithful service in our life. 
Or as one writer wrote it this way, nobody is saved by their own good works, but everyone saved by grace will be committed to good works. In other words, Jesus is showing us in Matthew 25 that the sheep and the goats, their work for the Lord or lack thereof was ultimately demonstrating whether they truly knew the Lord or not. I think what God is wanting us to see in Matthew 25 is this incredible calling of how to serve the Lord. There's five things I want us to see from the text this morning, five observations that are general observations because I believe even this pastor scripture that deals with prophetic realities and the fact that Jesus is coming again and what this is gonna look like in the future, it has practical application for our lives today. What does readiness look like? How do we know that we're ready for that day? We're ready first by knowing Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And secondly, we have the assurance of that as we serve him faithfully in our lives today. So I want you to see five things. Number one, I want you to see the priority of serving one another. The priority of serving one another. It is very interesting in this pastor scripture that when Jesus begins to talk about this separation of the sheep and the goats, he brings to an illustration what it looks like to serve him. In other words, what he's doing for us is he's painting us a picture. He's telling us the value that God the Father places on our service. That if our faith is real, it will be demonstrated in the way that we serve him. Now, we do live in a culture that is largely self-oriented, me first, in so many different ways. And yet, even in our culture, there are many good things that are taking place. In recent years, there has been a great movement of of what I'll just call humanitarian aid. There's been a great movement of nonprofits and some even government organizations where people have come alongside to show compassion and to help people in need. And many of those programs are wonderful and are good and can be very, very helpful to people in need. And while those can be beneficial, I'm reminded this morning that as a child of God, I should not have to be told by the government. I should not have to be encouraged by a nonprofit to actually serve when the reality is, is Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has already called us to serve. I shouldn't have to be convinced by someone that doesn't know the Lord that I should be serving when Jesus is my Lord and therefore I should be walking in his likeness. Galatians chapter five, verse 13, the apostle Paul says something interesting about serving. Here's what he says. He says, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. What Paul is saying is, listen, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been forgiven of your sin. You've been set free from the old person you used to be. You have freedom now in Christ. So with that freedom, don't use it to do what you want to do. Don't use it for the occasions of the flesh, but instead use that freedom to serve others. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, here's what Peter said. He said, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. Here's the word, employ it. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Literally what Peter is saying is, Use your gifts, use your abilities, use your talents for the glory of God. Put them to work to minister to one another. And I love how Psalm said it in Psalm 100 verse two, simply said this, David did, serve the Lord with a frowny face. No, that's not what he said. Serve the Lord with a heavy heart. No, that's not what he said. He said, serve the Lord with gladness. We'll talk about how we can do that in just a moment. But what I want us to see this morning is this. Serving the Lord demonstrates our gladness in who he is, our gratitude for what he's done, and our goal of glorifying him in all that we do. After all, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, said this about himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Think of that. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords said, listen, I didn't come to this earth to be served, but I came to serve. I came to give my life as a ransom for many, for the glory of the Father and for the good of others. Doesn't that beg a question of us today? I think the reality that Jesus came to serve begs a question for every single one of us who professes to be a Christian. I think that question is this. How can someone claim to be a Christian and not have a conviction to serve others. 
How can I, how can we claim to be a follower of Jesus and not have a conviction to serve others? To say that I'm a Christian is to say that I believe in Jesus, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that I follow him as the Lord and ruler of my life. To say that I'm a Christian is to say that, you know what, Matthew Kirkland, he doesn't belong to himself anymore. He belongs to Jesus. Jesus is in charge of his life. So how can I claim that the most generous, faithful, sacrificial, selfless servant that the world has ever known is the Lord of my life if in fact in my heart and life I have absolutely zero conviction or desire to serve others? Begs a question, doesn't it? The fact is, is Jesus looks in Matthew chapter 25 and as he evaluates the sheep and the goats, the basis of this is their faith in him. But no doubt the evidence of that is by whether they were serving him or not. Whether they were honoring him or not. In other words, what I'm saying to you this morning is that Jesus didn't evaluate them on the basis of their claim, but on the evidence of their conduct. We understand that. In a marital relationship, a husband can look at his wife and he can say, honey, I love you. And an hour can pass and he can come through the room again and say, honey, I love you. And lunchtime can come around and he can say, honey, I love you. He can say, honey, I love you till he is blue in the face. But she likely will not believe it until she sees it in action. She can hear it all the time. The words may come a million times a day, but until he puts her needs above his own, until he loves her like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, until he's willing to, to do the dishes, for lack of a better term, or willing to give her the back massage, willing to put her needs before his own, he's she's not likely to know how loved she is. Man, that's a good hint for you right there this morning, okay? And ladies, you can fill in the blanks with all the other things that you'd like to add to that list too, okay? That's between you guys. The same is true with a wife. A wife can look at her husband and say, honey, I love you, honey, I love you, honey, I love you. But ultimately, the evidence of that will be seen not in the amount of words that are spoken throughout the day, but in the actions that are taking place through their lives. What God is wanting us to see here is the incredible priority of serving because our serving gives evidence of what's truly in our heart. The second thing I want you to see is this, not only the priority of serving others, but the practice of serving one another. The practice of serving one another. It's, it's not really difficult to understand the importance of serving others. As a Christian, we've been called and commanded by God to serve him and to serve him with gladness. Not only that, but as his creation, with his image in our hearts and in our lives, as he created us in the image of God, the reality is is that every person has certain abilities and certain talents and certain skills that we can use in serving one another. But for the believer, it goes even further. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God imparts to you and equips you with at least one spiritual gift. We've had several series here on spiritual gifts in recent years. But the reality is, as a believer, God gives you a spiritual gift that is intently given for the purpose of building up, edifying the church, as we have here as one of our four core pillars here at Crosslink. God's giving you that gift. So it's not difficult to understand the importance of that. The question for us to understand is, or the question for us to consider is, how are we practicing that? What are we doing with the gifts that God's given us? What are we doing with the abilities and skills that God entrusted to us? What are we doing with the opportunities at hand? Listen to what some of the scriptures say about these gifts and the opportunities God gives us. Romans 12, verse 6, it says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. The idea of exercising is very simple. God's saying, literally, put it into practice. Work it out in your life. 1 Peter 4.10, we already saw a moment ago, we are to employ these gifts as special stewards of God. God gave them to us and to whom much is given, much is required. So employ it, put them to work. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 25 says it this way, Paul explains that we should serve so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. In other words, it's through serving one another, putting one another's needs above our own, looking for ways to serve, using our spiritual gifts, building up one another, that we are doing something. We are caring for one another, caring for the body of Christ. So often I'll hear someone say that they were at a church service somewhere, or they were a part of a church body or some group, and they would just make the comment that, that there was, the situation was just so unhealthy, so unhealthy. And I'll often ask the question, what were you doing to help bring health to the situation? How were you serving? How were you blessing? How were you contributing so that, so that the ministry was being cared for as opposed to just letting it sit there and be hindered? Here in Matthew 25, Jesus says nothing 
of spiritual gifts or special abilities. He says nothing of, of amount of experience, but here's what he does. Jesus points, this is awesome, at the most basic ways that we can serve one another. And he shows us how important it really is. Remember in John 13, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, the fact of the matter is Jesus was giving them an illustration. When he said, go and do this to one another, he literally was not just saying to wash feet. He was providing an illustration. If you should wash someone's feet, there's a lot of other ways you could serve them and minister to them. The same way, Jesus is taking the most basic ways of service and he's using this as an opportunity to show us that everybody can do something to serve the Lord. Think of that for just a moment. Many times in our mentality, it can be easy for us in the context of the church to get into this idea that serving the Lord is for some special class of people. You gotta, have, you gotta be the spiritually elite. You gotta be the super gifted. You gotta be able to be on stage. You gotta be outgoing. You gotta be able to talk really clear. You gotta be able to do all these different things. Sometimes in our thinking, we can come to the conclusion, well, if, if I could sing like that, then I would serve the Lord too. Well, if I could talk like that, then I would teach others too. If I was outgoing, I would, I would be a greeter too. If, if I wasn't so, you know, just didn't get so cold during the, the fall and the wintertime, I'd be out there with a the first-time guest tent. I, there's a lot of different things we can come up with. But here's the reality. The reality is God is wanting us to see loud and clear that every single one of us can do something for his glory and for the good of others. And on the flip side of that, the reality is that Satan will give us every excuse not to serve the Lord because Satan knows if he can get us in that place where we are not serving, we will become stagnant. And if we are not stagnant, we will not grow. Many of you have heard the illustration of the Dead Sea, that there is little to no life that exists there in the Dead Sea. And most people assume it is only because of the amount of salt and the amount of mineral that's there in the water. But they never think beyond why there is so much salt and mineral in the water. The reason why there's, no, there's so much salt and minerals in the water is because the Dead Sea has no outlet. In other words, there is no water leaving it to give life support and nourishment, strength, if you will. There is no other body of water that the Dead Sea is serving. And as a result, it just becomes a reservoir. So the only way that water can leave it is literally by evaporation. So when the water that's there evaporates, all that's left behind is a big dose of salt and minerals. In other words, when you have outlets for which you are serving and supporting and strengthening, it brings about great health. Sometimes we think that we are growing because we're growing in our knowledge. We're growing because we understand that word better. We're growing because we took in that sermon last week again. We're growing because of all the things we've heard. It could be just because, it could be instead not that we're growing, but that instead we're just becoming a little more salty along the way. Serving others is so very simple. Jesus looks at those that were righteous. He looks at those that he called the sheep. These are those who believed in him. And here's what, they said. Here's what he said to them. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in and made me feel at home. When I was a prisoner, you came to me. In other words, in this moment, as Jesus is painting this picture for us, he's saying to us that their actions required no special degree, no amount of knowledge, no length of experience. They simply served and met the needs around them. In other words, this morning, I think what Jesus is saying is this. You may not be able to do some things, but all of us can do something for the glory of God and the good of others in service to him. Let me ask you by a show of hands, how many of you can offer a water bottle to someone in need? How many of you could offer a warm meal to someone in need? How many of you could visit the sick? How many of you could go to a prisoner that feels completely forgotten like they're just a shadow walking around? Anybody be able to do that? Anybody able to give a smiling face, a word of encouragement? Anybody able to welcome a guest in? The reality is that we all can do that. Jesus is showing us in a very practical way that we all can do something for the glory of God. I'm reminded when I hear that reality that all of us can do something for the glory of God and the good of others, I cannot help but to think about one of my favorite preachers of all time, a man by the name of David Ring. Many of you today have probably never heard of David Ring. I would encourage you to YouTube some of his sermons. 
He's an evangelist who's preached really in countries all over the world. He has a, a daughter that went to school with me at Liberty many years ago. David Ring was born with cerebral palsy. And as a result of that, he has a severe handicap with his speech. Every, every word he speaks is with much, much labor. And frankly, when you're listening to him preach, you have to really, really, really tune in because you'll, you'll miss some words along the way. David Ring tells a story that he grew up, his parents both died of cancer when he was young, and he grew up questioning what was his purpose in life and how could God do anything with his life? What a mistake his life must be. And yet he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he eventually was called into the ministry, and he wrestled with that. God, how, how, could, you, how could you use me as a preacher? I can hardly talk. And David Ring, of course, was called to the ministry. There have been thousands that have come to know Christ through his ministry, but the reality is, most every message that David Ring preaches, he ends with a question. It's a simple question, but he tells a story about how he wrestles with God. He tells a story that he feels that he has absolutely nothing to offer God. How could God use such a wretch as him? And of course, as you're sitting there listening, you're seeing how God is working and moving through this man, even in his weakness. And then he'll make the statement, if God could use... Uh, in his words, a wretch like me, what's your excuse? What's your excuse? If God could take a man with cerebral palsy and use him as an incredible mouthpiece for the Lord, where the gospel will go forward, where souls will be saved and lives will be changed, then what's our excuse for not serving the Lord? Fact of the matter is there is none. And so God is calling us to see the practices of that. Third thing I want you to see this morning are the preventions of serving one another. The preventions of serving one another. Clearly in the pastor scripture, there were the sheep and there were the goats. There were those who loved the Lord and those that did not. There were those who served the Lord and those who did not. Even in the context of the local church, there are some who will serve the Lord and there will be some who do not. It's been often said in the church that there are many willing people in the church. There are those who are willing to serve and others who are willing to let them. Jesus in Matthew 25 tells us something interesting. Both the sheep and the goats recognized his authority. Both the sheep and the goats called Jesus Lord. Both the sheep and the goats came to him to listen. But the difference is found in how they responded by faith and by service. Now, we don't see this here in Matthew 25, but I want to suggest to you from Galatians chapter 5, four things that often prevent us from serving the Lord. I'm going to say them quickly. I don't have time to dive into them. I want to encourage you this week to go read Galatians chapter 5 and kind of study these verses very intently. But four things that hinder us from serving the Lord. The first thing is sin. Sin hinders us from serving the Lord. Galatians 5.13 says it this way. You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. When the Bible's speaking of our flesh, it's speaking of our sinful nature. And in Galatians chapter five, what Paul is saying is this, there's this fleshly nature that wars against us, that leads us to passions that are not pleasing to God. It leads us to immorality and it leads us to impurity. It leads us to idolatry where we put things more uh, in our life more important than God. Our flesh pulls against us. And then there's this also this, this the walking by the spirit for those who know Jesus. There's this battle that's going on. And when you and I are giving into our flesh, when we're pursuing our pleasures, when we're giving into our temptations, the Bible says loud and clear, it will be a hindrance to us serving the Lord. Not only does sin a, a, a prevention, but secondly, selfishness prevents us from serving the Lord. Galatians 5.14, the very next verse is this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Sin will keep us from serving, but also an attitude of selfishness where we're focused on what we want, what we think, how we feel, what we want to do and what we don't want to do. When our life revolves around our wants, our perspectives and our preferences, it will lead us to a very self-focused mentality where we begin to have self-importance, self-indulgence, self-pity, self-centeredness and so forth. Why serve the Lord if I don't want to? Why serve the Lord if it's inconvenient? Why serve the Lord if it's going to demand my time and my energy and, and other priorities in my life? After all, we are in a pandemic. Isn't the rest of the world on pause? Why should I serve the Lord? I don't want to have to get up early on Sundays, Pastor Terry. 
I don't, I don't want to have to wear a mask in this season. I don't want to have to get off the couch. I don't want to have to deal with all the traffic. I don't want to be made uncomfortable. Selfishness has a powerful way of hindering us from serving. But I remind us, what did Jesus do? Philippians 2 verse 5 tells us, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he demonstrated that by humbling himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and giving his life on a cross. In other words, it wasn't about him. His life was lived for the glory of the Father and the good of others. I'm reminded this morning that as long as we are focused on self, we will never have the mind, heart, and likeness of Jesus. A third prevention of service is the word strife. Strife, the idea of contention, of conflict, of of argument. The very next verse in Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 says it this way. Listen to Paul's picture. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. (laughs) Time out, time out. Paul went from loving one another and serving one another to saying, and don't bite one another. What in the world? Let me ask you a question. What image comes to mind when you think of biting one another? Somebody would say, Mike Tyson. No, that's not what I'm asking, okay? Like, for most of us, when we think of that happening amongst people, we're probably thinking of a, a small child, right? What happens when a little child bites another child? You know what happens? They bite back. Right? I'll share with you something. This is an honest confession. I'm not bragging about this. And kids, I am not saying you should do this. I'm just telling you in my immature life what happened in in my life. I remember being about four years old. I don't know if anybody else has ever had this experience before. Have you ever known a four-year-old that was suspended from a Christian preschool? Anybody ever know anybody like that? I was four years old. I went to a Christian preschool in Montgomery, Alabama called Calvary Baptist Church. And I went to that preschool and I will never forget a little boy named Luke was a bully to me. He might've had a godly name, but I'm telling you his character was not that. Anyway, (laughs) I remember being about four years old. I remember one day on the playground, he bit me. I remember going home and my mom finding, she she knew everything about it already. And I remember in the backyard just kind of playing, trying to get my mind off of it. And I remember that particular night, we had a family friend that was staying with our house. And, and, and that family friend and my dad came into the backyard and he, he knew I'd had a rough day. And so he asked him, well, what happened? And I told him that Luke had bit me. And I remember showing him the bite marks on my, bite marks on my arm. And I'll never forget that family friend saying, well, you know what you need to do, don't you? I said, no, sir, what do I need to do? He said, you need to give that boy a knuckle sandwich. I said, a knuckle sandwich. He said, I remember him balled up his fist and he said, that's right. You take these knuckles and you put them right in his mouth. That's what he told me. I was four years old. I remember, and I'm not proud of, I remember going the next day. Guess what Luke did? Luke bit me. I gave him a knuckle sandwich. I got suspended and he never bit me again. Okay, that's, that's the story. <laughs> I said, pastor, what in the world are you saying? I am saying in our immaturity, in our immaturity, like a childish toddler. When we function in strife, what typically happens is hurt people hurt people and we go back and we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. That's true in a marriage. That's true in relationships in the body of Christ. That's true in the larger church in general. And I'm telling you, if we function in that strife, we ultimately will devour and we will tear down and we will destroy the exact opposite of what God has called us as believers to do in serving one another and edifying and building up the body of Christ. The question is, Who is going to be like Jesus and humble ourselves and seek forgiveness and healing and restoration? Strife will hinder us from serving. And finally, self-righteousness will hinder us from serving. In the church at Galatia, there were all these religious people coming in and they were saying, hey, you got to believe in Jesus, but you also got to do this and you got to do that. They thought based upon their diet and based upon their keeping of the law that they were more holy than everybody else. And as a result of that, they began to look down at the people. If you have a self-righteous, proud attitude, guess what? It will also hinder your serving. Well, I would serve if I could be on the stage. I should be the one singing that solo. I'd serve if I had a more important job to do. Somebody else can do that task. Pastor, that would never be heard. Every single one of those statements are statements I've heard in the church. Self-righteousness is a major hindrance. 
which brings to the fourth thing, and it's really the primary focus of the message today. I want you to see the purpose of serving one another. The priority is loud and clear. The practice is so simple. The prevention is evident. We all deal with those preventions, those things that would hinder us. But I want you to see the purpose of serving one another. Here's the crux of the matter. That is this. Here's the question. When it comes to serving, who are you serving? Because who you're serving, your motivation in serving will make all the difference in the world. If you're serving for the purpose of men, mankind is what I mean by that statement. If you're serving for the purpose of man, you're not going to serve very long. Because there's two major dangers. The first danger is the reality is, is that in serving man, you're going to be disappointed. Because you're going to go to great lengths to serve and to do. And frankly, there are going to be some who are going to completely forget what you've done. There are going to be some who ignore what you've done. There are going to be some, I know it's hard to believe, there are going to be some who criticize what you've done or even reject completely what you've done. And the sting of that will prevent you from serving again in the future. If you're serving for man, there can also be that time where, frankly, we get so caught up in trying to please men that the Bible, according to, according to Scripture, tells us that we begin to be, to be pleasers of men. And that purpose, purpose is, is that someone's patting us on the back. We're looking for their praise. We're looking for their affirmation. We become an affirmation junkie, constantly looking for the approval of man. But that will lead you to complete and total burnout. Trust me. But God tells us something interesting in Matthew 25. Jesus shows us that when we're looking at serving, we need to have a much deeper, maybe a a much higher perspective of serving. See, it might be that you're serving the person in front of you. It might be that you see the great need around you. But our ultimate calling and motivation in serving, it's not about the person. It's not even about the task. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the righteous sheep looked and said, well, Jesus, when, when did we serve you? When did we feed you? When did we give you a drink? When did we clothe you? When did we visit you as a sick? When did we welcome you in? When, when did we minister to you in that way? And Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. He looked at the goats later and he said to them, listen, you rejected me. And they said, when do we reject you? Jesus, if we had known it was you, we would have never rejected you. We would have never missed the opportunity. We would have never neglected you. And Jesus said, if you rejected the least of these, you've done it unto me. In other words, Jesus is calling us to look beyond the person in the moment, beyond the need in the moment. And he's calling us to recognize that our service is ultimately up to, uh, unto him. Paul said it this way in Colossians 3. He said, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. It's a powerful reminder to us that all that we do should be done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why should we be willing to serve? Because it's for Jesus. Why should we be willing to serve during a pandemic? Because it's for Jesus. Why should we be willing to go out of our way, pay the cost, give of our time, give of our effort, our energy? Why should we be willing to be inconvenienced? Because it's for Jesus. Why should we be willing to visit the sick? Because it's for Jesus. Why should we give generously to meet the need? Because it's for Jesus. Why should we take food to the community around us? Because it's for Jesus. Why should we be willing to scrub the toilet, change the baby's diaper, deal with a difficult situation, fold the worship guide, smile and welcome someone warmly? How can I refuse to give myself completely in service when he gave himself completely as a sacrifice for me? How can I refuse to give myself completely in service when he gave himself completely as a sacrifice for me? Never forget that Jesus is the motivation and the reason that we serve, which leads us finally to the promise of serving one another. The promise of serving one another. Jesus concludes Matthew 25 with a simple reality, and that is this. What you do for the Lord is not in vain. What you do for others may be forgotten by man, but it's never forgotten by the Lord. What you do for man may be neglected by people around you. 
but it is always noted by the Lord. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10, verse 42. Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones, listen to this, even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. I don't know that you can get any more simple or basic than a cup of cold water. Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Ephesians 6, 7, and 8 says it this way, with good will, here's what we do, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Matthew 25, remember, the basis of this is those who believed and those who did not. But the evidence was this, there were those who served and those who didn't. And Jesus said of those who didn't, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous, here's the promise, into eternal life. As we close this message today, I want to ask you to consider something. The whole theme of this pastor scripture is the reality that Jesus is coming again. And because he's coming again, we must be ready. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24, verse 42 and verse 44. Be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Verse 44. For this reason, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Let me ask you today, are you ready for the Lord's return? Have you believed in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Do you know without a doubt that you've been saved from your sins. This morning, if you do not know, and there's any amount of uncertainty in your life, you can be certain today. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord, you will be saved. Today, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in wonder. You don't have to live in anxiety about when that's gonna happen because you can know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you do not know him today as your Lord and Savior, today, I wanna encourage you and invite you to do just that. And if you do, I challenge you today to consider, are you ready to stand before the Lord? Are you living your life today so that your life and your actions matter in eternity. Matthew 24 and 25, go read it this week. Not everybody was ready for the master's return. And I pray in our lives, we will be ready because we know him and because we're serving him and making him known to others around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time together. Thank you for uh, the incredible uh, way that you encourage us that all of us can serve you and minister to others. I thank you, God, that you're not looking for um, necessarily the wise and the scholarship. You're not looking for the experts with all the different degrees. Lord, you're just looking for the available and the willing who will obey you and be your hands and your feet. And so, Father, I thank you for that incredible truth today. But, Father, also am reminded that Jesus is coming again. And only you, Father, know the timing of when that's going to take place. We don't know that. And so, Father, I pray that we would live our life with a constant readiness to stand before you, with a constant readiness. Lord, if there's anyone here today that is not certain of their salvation, I pray that today would be the day where they make sure of that before they ever even leave here today. Father, for those who do know, I pray that today would be a day of conviction and a day of devotion to you as we surrender our lives to serve you. Father, Father I pray that you would give us your eyes to see people and situations around us. Father, give us your, your, your heart to look upon people and situations with compassion. Father, I pray that we'd have your hands, so to speak, to work and to labor for you. And Father, may our, may our feet lead us into the paths that you would have for us. Father, have your way right now, I pray in Jesus' name. This morning, right where you're sitting today, I want to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God? Jesus, we're separating the, the believer from the unbeliever today, the righteous from the unrighteous today. 
Where would you stand? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that Jesus is your Lord? This morning, if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not ready for that moment because I'm not sure. But I need to be and I want to be. I need God to forgive me and save me and cleanse me today. If that's you this morning, right where you are, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to ask you to acknowledge it of raising your hand high and just keep it high for just a moment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. If that's you this morning, you'd say, Pastor, I don't know where I stand, but I need to have a relationship with God. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's you this morning, would you quietly slip up your hand high? Just leave it there for just a moment. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. The Bible does say if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And so I want to encourage you today, whether you're listening online or whether you're in the Community Life Center right now or right here in this building, if you've never prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, would you simply confess that Jesus is Lord and invite him to be the Lord of your life? Right now, would you simply say, Father, God, I believe that you love me, a sinner, and I've done things that are not pleasing to you. But I believe that you love me. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again. And today I confess that Jesus is the Lord over all. And I pray today that Jesus will be the Lord of my life. God, would you save me and make me a brand new person and help me to have a relationship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. This morning, if you prayed that prayer, I hope you'll let us know before you leave. We'd love to celebrate with you. Secondly, maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, by God's grace, I know that I'm saved. But for whatever reason, I've not been serving like I ought. I've been missing needs around me, opportunities around me. I've been putting them off. And God's convicting me today that there are some things I can do and I need to be faithful in doing them. Pastor, would you pray for me? today. If that's you right now, would you just slip up your hand high and then put it right back down. Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together today. Thank you for the reminder that you love us and care for us. Thank you for the way that you have gone out of your way, of course, to give your life for us and to minister to us, to draw us to yourself. And I pray, Lord, in that same way that we would be faithful to put aside our self and our preferences and our wants to instead humble ourselves to serve others and bless you. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to be the vessels that you'd called us to be and that we'd point others to you in everything that we do. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.